podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Face Off, I'm your host Guy Drinkle as always and today we'll be covering the one-all draw with Chelsea, such a weird game, hopefully the pod's as eventful as the uh, as the game was, but joining me to discuss the game is Rebecca Watkins who you heard on the preview pod, how are you doing Rebecca? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good, and the Liverpool fan, fan joining us is Sam Evans, how are you doing Sam? Yeah, really good, thanks mate. Good stuff. So Sam, I'll, I'll stick with you. As ever, we always go through the starting 11s and stuff like that. And Liverpool pretty much go back to the usual with the um, the old guard midfield. None of the new blood in there yet. But um, what did you make of the starting 11? Initially, I was a bit disappointed. The fact that Keita wasn't playing because I thought he... I, I did mention in the preview pod uh, that I really thought Keita might make an impact on this game. So that was the only thing, you know, in general, mate, the, the starting lineup is, was excellent. It's, it's just, I, I really wanted to see Keita because mm. I thought he could have done some damage against them. So apart from that, mate, really, really happy with the starting lineup. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. There's not not many changes we could make. And Rebecca, is it a similar story for, for Chelsea? You seem to be getting quite a consistent team selection nowadays. Yeah, I think that's just a hallmark of Sari as a manager, isn't it, really? He's always been very, very consistent in his 11 once he has them. The system just does not change. The players have to fit the system, not the other way around. And I think, you know, we see that with N'Golo Kante week in, week out. The the only thing, I guess, that you would kind of talk about with Chelsea is who should start up front, Giroud or Morata. But to be honest, it's a bit of a moot point because neither mm-hmm. score. So it, it is what it is at this point. And I think I would always rather see Giroud start. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, it's, it's fine. It's very, um, very expected now from Zari. I don't think we'll see much changing, um, throughout the season, barring obviously suspensions and injury. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. I think it's a similar story until that, in, in, for Liverpool until the new players are bedded in. But yeah, I think both teams are definitely consistently picking the same team. So we'll get into the first 20 minutes or so of the game then. And Rebecca, I'll stick with you. Um, quite a balanced start to the game. And I know Chelsea score, I think, 25, 30 odd minutes into the game. But is, is there a real concern that there's a lack of goals in the team? Because some, sometimes there's not that threat, um, from Chelsea, other than Hazard, I, I seem to think whilst watching you lot. Yeah, that, well, there just isn't. That, that's not even a matter to mm. debate. I wouldn't have said. I just think that is what it is. And we are so dependent on Hazard. And, you know, we've seen Chelsea teams in the past be dependent on two, maybe three players for goals. You know, you look back to sort of the Drogba and Lampard seasons or, you know, even before then when you look at people like Zola, but I can mm. never, ever remember a time where we've been so, so bereft of of kind of 
goals throughout the team. Um, you know, Marcus Alonso to me would be more likely to pop up with a goal than Morata. <laughs> and, and that is kind of quite worrying. Again, you know, the midfield, like we saw with Azar's goal and stuff. And we've seen when, when that midfield is, is kind of doing well and you're getting all the passes and everything. It, it's so beautiful to watch. It's, it's really, really nice. But at the end of the day, is, is that midfield going to get you goals? I, I'm not sure it is either. And I think whereas, you know, you look at Liverpool and you think there are goals from literally every position, give or take a couple here. And then, you know, you look at other teams across Europe and you think you, you have alternatives. If, if Azad isn't on his day, we have got big problems. And the issue is as well, there are going to be times when he does all he can and it's, it's still not going to be enough because the other team might score one or two or three. You know, you can't even say if he did score 40 goals this season, is that going to be enough? Not when your total goal scoring overall competitions is 45. No, <laughs> it's a big problem. Yeah. And what do you think the answer is is to that? Because obviously Hazard, I think he's not scored over 20 goals a season. So are you, ex- are you expecting him to do unheard of levels from him personally? Or are you expecting your Williams, your Pedros to get 10, 15 each and... Just hope that your strikers actually do like score some goals. See, for me, the solution is pretty simple. It's Mitchy Bashwai, and he's mm. he's in Valencia at the moment. Um, I think he would have fitted into the Sari team very, very well. Sometimes I think is Sari trying to do with Azad what he did with Mertens at Napoli, i.e., convert what is mm-hmm. essentially not a striker into a you know thirty goal a season striker. I I don't think that's going to happen with Azad. I think this season he, he does look like he can hit twenty odd goals, yeah. But again, that's not enough. It's like Gareth Bale at Real Madrid, you know. Gareth Bale might have his best ever goal scoring season this season. It's still not going to be enough if mm-hmm. everybody else isn't, you know, putting in that ratio. The same with, you know, you look at Liverpool and their front three and you think you'll split that. Salah might not be scoring week in, week out this season. Other people are, so it's okay. And that for me is a huge problem in terms of our complete and utter lack of other options. So, you know, we, we took Giroud off and obviously put Morata on. But that's not going to help. And even in terms of whether that's, you know, even if Morata was scoring, Giroud and Morata are very, very similar strikers in the way they operate, in their physicality, you know, in the way that they're probably the, the same level of, of mobile, same kind of level of pace, I guess, both very good aerially as well. And it's one of those things where if, if one of them isn't working because the defenders have sussed them out or, if you bring on the other, you're just swapping a literal like for like. Yeah. So I doubt that would work. Whereas obviously with Liverpool, you can put somebody like Sturridge on. <laughs> and I know one of the kind of criticisms with the PSG game, if you can even call it a criticism from some people, was all oh, the, the front three looked a bit, you know, stunted at times with Sturridge because mm. he's completely different and he doesn't play like Firmino does, etc. No, he doesn't, but he's a completely different option. So if the defenders have one of them figured out, they're not going to have the other. You know, you look at United and they were always their best when they had different types of strikers. And we we don't have that right now. Whereas Batshuayi was a completely different alternative. In terms of Pedro and Willian, I love Willian, but his end product isn't quite there. Again, he isn't going to get you like 15, 20 goals. Very much the same with Pedro. So where we're getting them from, I I don't actually know because it's all well and good with you know, Jorginho and Kante scoring against Huddersfield, but they're not, they're not doing it week in, week out. Mm-hmm. And 
again with that game, I I thought Azad had actually one of the best performances I've ever seen him have, not even in terms of him going forward, but in terms of the fact that he actually tracked back and I just nearly fell off the couch at that point <laughs> and wondered if my hangover was making me see things, you know. But in the second half, he was doing so much other stuff that he wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a huge threat attacking-wise, which again means where are these goals coming from? Is that something that you you could see getting addressed in, in the January transfer window? I know you covered the uh, financial problems with Abramovich and stuff on the preview pod perfectly well, but do you think it's something that you need to do in January? Uh, maybe get through, sub, not survive, but see how well you do and then put in a bid for, I don't know. I, I used Arnautovic as an example the other day, but could you see someone like that coming in? I mean, if I was Arnautovic, I think I'll hold out for, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a better move um, somewhere where I would start week in, week out. I'm not sure he would necessarily be a huge amount different to, to what we, we kind of have at the moment because mm-hmm. he's still, you know, that kind of striker. I, I would have just loved to see Batshuayi come back and be given a chance. And I don't like the January transfer window. I don't like buying forwards in it. I don't really like buying anybody in it, to be honest. But I understand, you know, if you have to, you have to. Um, I, I, I'm not sure we will. And again, we, we do have alternatives. We've got so many young up and comers. You know, T- Tammy Abrams, w- w- what's happening with him? Where is, you know, why is he not getting a chance? Why, uh, say Loftus Cheek not getting a chance in the midfield to be a true box to box midfielder and, you know, possibly get, get some goals from mm. him. Hudson Adoy is so young and so kind of enthusiastic and green that he would be, you know, a great player to kind of come on in the last 20 minutes. Because he'd just run at people because he doesn't care. He's too young to have the fear yet, you know? So in terms of the January transfer, no, I, I don't know whether we would or not. I, I personally would say we'd, we'd probably have to. But then again, my big concern with that is, OK, if we do, is that literally saying, OK, Batchwai is going out on loan again next season mm. so he can go and break a record in a different league? You know, <laughs> it, it's absolutely ridiculous, the situation that we put ourselves in consistently with players it's over and over again and I mean that's just a lack of I don't know planning or whatever Mm -hmm. on the club's part it's a consistent problem the the transfer policy is I mean it's nowhere near like a Man United level at the moment but it's so so flawed yeah, yeah, you make some good points there. And Sam, I'll come to you uh, from a Liverpool point of view on uh, on the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes or so. I mean, we see a few chances. Obviously, Salah's not in his best form, but I think it, he's still got similar numbers at this point as he did last season. Um, and he, he has some wild shots. I mean, we'll we'll come to the one that gets cleared off the line in a bit. But what 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 did you make of our? Do you think the front three was just having an off day? Yeah, a lot's been made of Salah's early season form, and I think it's been blown out of proportion quite a bit. You know, he has been missing some guilt edge chances, and that's obviously something that that people will see then is on the highlight reels and everything. If he hasn't scored, they make a massive deal out of it. But the the thing is, they're comparing end of season Salah in full flow mm-hmm. compared to start of season. Just trying to get your feet back going, trying to get some rhythm again, Salah, which last season again, he had exactly the same problem. I think he's only one goal down, isn't he? He scored four yeah, at this point so, last yeah. season and he's got three this season. Big, you know, big deal. It's not really a massive thing, but you know, there is definitely not 100%. You know, we can all see that. As you said, he had those two chances where he cut in on his left peg. 
don't get me wrong, they're outside of the box. It would have had to be a worldie of a goal anyway, but first one was a very tame shot and he just hit right down the middle. Second one, he he made an absolutely lovely turn, if you remember. He kind of mm. stuck his ass out, pushed pushed the Chelsea player back, and then he was one-on-one with Rudiger, sent Rudiger for a hot dog, and then uh, cut in on his left peg, but then he kicked that into the stands. So um, he's very close to being back where he needs to be. You know, I, I, it's a massive football cliche, but it's very much a case of you'd be worried if he wasn't getting chances, and he is very much getting loads of good areas and getting loads of good chances. So you know, the goals are going to come. There's no two ways about it. The guy is consistently creating openings. And I thought he, he actually had a very bright start to the game. It, it, it wasn't quite coming off. The end product is obviously what everyone wants. And that's something that at the end of the season, you look at the stats, that's what people remember. And I think that's probably why, in a similar vein, why Hazard hasn't quite been deemed the world-class talent that he potentially could be is because of his numbers. You know, he's not getting top-level goal numbers, but I think maybe he might do this season. So, um, yeah, very bright start to the game. Um, I thought we actually, before the goal, might have been edging the game, actually. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really decent start for us. Well, I'll, uh, Sam, I'll stick. I'll stick with you then. Obviously, said we're edging it till the goal, but the goal does happen. I think the, the twenty-five minute markish. Um, is it just Trent going walkies? It first and foremost, it's a bloody lovely goal. Um, it, it's it, Hazard just got this thing against Liverpool. Um, it, he's he's just level raises. I don't know what it is. You get this sometimes with footballers where they just seem to have a team that they like to score against. And for some reason, everything just combines and it's ideal for for them and they always score. And Hazard one of those guys for us, unfortunately. And, you know, it's a beautiful little one-two in the middle of the pitch. Great ball um, through then by uh, Kovacic. And, you know, a cracking finish on his left peg. Um I will say, as you said, Trent's gone walkies maybe. You know, he should have seen the run coming through from Hazard, but it was an excellent run and an absolutely superb ball as well. It was just inch perfect, so he just didn't even have to break his stride and he was gone. But yeah, I think it's a good finish. I think Alisson will be slightly disappointed. Mm. You know, he it, it, don't get me wrong, it would have had to be a worldie of a save if he did save it. You know, I wasn't expecting him to save it, but the fact that he got fingertips to that ball, I think he'll be a bit disappointed. I, I think maybe Hazard's, he took it really early, and that's something that kind of caught Alisson slightly off balance then. So yeah, his, his weight. He seemed to step too far to the right, didn't he? Yeah, his weight distribution was to the right, and then he, he didn't have then the momentum to push back onto his left quick enough. So it was quite a weak fingertip that he got to that ball. So, um, Sometimes you've got to just say, a bit like the the game in midweek, it's a bloody good goal. And you just go, okay, you know, not great defending, but it was excellent play, really sharp, quick ball. And it was just a run from deep as well, which is a lot harder to defend. So, you know, even though it was an excellent goal, we were obviously disappointed to concede it. But at that point, I still thought, we're a bit unlucky to be 1-0 down here. So at that point, I wasn't panicking too much. Yeah, I think that's all fair. And Rebecca, from from a Chelsea point of view, is that is that a goal that just highlights the new 
um, sorry ball type type football? I mean, it, it is, and it was obviously, you know, a very good goal. But again, I, do you know, I said to my husband as we were watching the game, as, as he was, you know, crying, being a Liverpool fan, I was <laughs> like, look, this I'm not sat here watching this game thinking, oh, my God, this is Barcelona 2009. This is the greatest football I've ever seen. I've never seen such slinky work in the midfield. I thought, yeah, the midfield are doing really well and there are some nice passes being threaded through. But we actually just look like a very well set up counter-attacking team with a very special player up front. And it, it certainly isn't the finished product. It's certainly not, I guess, what kind of Sari thinks either, because he's obviously alluded to that and said, you know, we've got we've got plenty to kind of go. Mm. I find the kind of comparisons between Sari and Klopp bordering on ridiculous because, again, people seem to be forgetting just because Chelsea decide not to play when they want a manager sack doesn't mean they're not a good team. This is why we always have one very good season and one absolutely diabolical season because the players just give up. But that talent is still there. That's nowhere near the size that Klopp had that, you know, got battered by Stoke before he took over. (laughs) You know, you're talking about apples and oranges. It's a completely different thing. And it's the same when people talk about Hazard and Salah, you know. I, I know people are now saying, oh, Azar's the greatest player to, you know, have ever graced the planet and he could resurrect Jesus. He's that good. But at the end of the day, you know, last season, Salah had a season that broke records. It was, it was incredible. A, a single player to have that impact and really genuinely be discussed on the Ronaldo Messi level. Obviously not the week in, week out, season in, season out, but in, in isolated season. Azad has not done that yet. And for me, he does need to. On you know, on the Salah point, Salah obviously needs to do that season in season out. But I wouldn't be worried. I know what it's like to feel worried about the forwards not making chances. And you know, you look at Morata and, and, and Giroud to some extent, but a, a lesser one. And with Morata, I think, oh my God, you're just bereft. You're bereft of everything. There's nothing about you that suggests you are going to get a goal, not in your attitude, not in your desire, not in your positioning, absolute, not in your first touch, absolutely nothing. I wouldn't be worried at all with Salah. You know, the fact that he's even scored it all this season after coming off the back of what really must have been quite a devastating end to the season for him, etc. You know, but in terms of Azard, he is, he is so pumped up right now. He has a manager that's letting him do what he wants, finally. He came off a very good World Cup as well. You know, he's, he's in the FIFA team, but so is Danny Alves. So the less said about that, the better. <laughs> you know, it's certainly um, a, a different mentality for them right now. And I think, you know, whereas you look at Chelsea and you think we are so reliant on Azad, if he is suspended, if he is injured, if he is having an, an off off day, we have got big problems. If Salah is having an off day, which yes, he did against against Chelsea, there's no two ways around it. Klopp can literally just take him off and put somebody else on. And it, it, it's completely different options. But in terms of how special the Azard goal was, I thought it was a very good goal. But I, too, had the Allison thing. Not in terms of thinking, oh, my God, we, you know, high Mignolet. But <laughs> thinking, you're not going to criticise. But if you want to be the best goalkeeper in the world, I think that's a goal that you could possibly be mm. saving. And then people go, oh, my God, you're the best in the world. And that's why you're the best in the world, because they always say that about a goalkeeper, don't they? You know, they, they earn you points. They're 10 points a season type thing. And I still absolutely believe Alison is, by the way. I'm not in any way criticizing, really. I'm, I'm absolutely nitpicking because I know there was a lot of kind of focus on the two goalkeepers because obviously I thought, oh, is this going to be Kepa's first chance of actually being tested? And 
you know, he was very solid. At, at certain times, I thought, oh, my God, what are you doing positioning-wise? Like, it's a good job. We, we now have gone full Ashley Cole, and we are really good at goal line clearances. <laughs> because otherwise, you know, on a different day, it, it could have been very different for us. But, you know, such is football, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely good. And just just on Hazard, obviously he has this big game record. I think he, I think it's against us and Spurs, especially. Is that is that something he's always strived in? Even well, I know he's had a couple awful seasons, but when he's had these on seasons, is is he always been this big game player? I mean, I don't know why we're talking about Spurs as a big game, but yeah. <laughs> but if they were London, London Derby, uh, no, I joke. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. I, I'm not. I'm not a Spurs fan, as as being a Chelsea fan makes suggest. But no, he he does, and I think Azad likes to play when the cameras are on him, etc. But then sometimes, you know, we we do have massive games when when we've been in like the Champions League and stuff, and he's very hit or miss, very very mm. hit or miss. And you know, it's not just the games against Liverpool where you've got to stand up and be counted; it's the games against West Ham because it, you know, Mourinho's first season back. I always talk about this. We we beat all the top sides. We were very very good against the top sides. We dropped five points to West. Brom. We got one point off West Brom that season because we lost, and then we drew mm. to them. And we could, we would have won the title if we'd have beaten West Brom both times. That was the difference. Games like that are the difference for me. So I look at West Ham and think, I wish you'd have done a bit more there. I also look at Liverpool and think you've done very good. But yeah, if, if there was ever a side that Azard has a blue spell against, it, it, it is Liverpool. Yeah. I don't know why, but he really <laughs> does like them. Oh, uh, I mean, to be fair, we couldn't defend for like the best part of a decade, so that probably helps. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, so we'll 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 come on to you now, Sam, and and obviously we see Salah have probably his best chance of the game where he rounds Kepper, and um, Rudiger clears it off the line. I mean, we kind of saw a similar one with uh, Sturridge in midweek where he just well he just buggered it properly bad, um, but we see Salah this time and. Um, he couldn't have done much more, could he? Yeah, I thought I thought he did really well to to get to the chance in the first place. You know that that ball through from Firmino, he had to show electric pace to get to that ball first. So fair play to him. He he flew through to get one on one with the uh, uh, Kepa there, and as you said, he, he sat the keeper down. He's rounded him. He just pushed himself that little bit wider than he'd have liked, and. Obviously, then that gave Rudiger the chance to to sprint back and just get there on time. So it's another one of those ones. It's just when it's not going for you, that little split second mistake, which is just knocking it slightly too far to the right, has given Rudiger the chance then to get back. And at the top level of football, sometimes it's those very, very fine margins that make the difference between a goal and a, and a save. So... It's it's one of those ones again where you just say he's done really really well. I wouldn't really criticise him too much about it. He's rounded the keeper and he's put it he's put it on target and it was just excellent recovery by Rudiger. You know I I rewatched that a few times and Rudiger was miles out uh, by the time Salah was actually one on one. But fair play to him. He saw the danger. He knew what was coming. Really good anticipation and you know he he made up for getting done earlier on in the game by uh, saving a goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Rebecca, coming to you, obviously Chelsea's defence has always been mentioned. I think As Aspilquet has always been the one that's got the the plaudits, and rightfully so. And we'll talk about Aspi in a little bit. But how good actually is Rudiger? Because 
there's not many Chelsea defenders who get talked about in the upper echelons of, of, of Premier League defenders. Obviously, you've got your Van Dykes, your Toby Alderweireld, your Vertonghen. How good is Rudiger? Because he, he seems to be your set man at the minute. Yeah, I mean, we did have a very long time where we had defenders that weren't just talked about as the best in the Premier League. They were the best in the <laughs> Premier League. So it's very kind of, you know, sometimes you, you see them and you say, oh my God, what have we come to? You know, Cahill's basically got a walking frame now. It's, you know, and I've never, ever been a Cahill fan. I'm, I'm not a David Luiz fan. Um, I appreciate what he brings, but I also yes. think he is horrendously limited. I, I don't believe you should have a defender who has that many mistakes in them as a, as a key part of your side, no matter what. But with Rudiger, he's massively growing on me. You know, he's only 25 as well, which I think most people think is actually a lot older. He, he does mm. look older. I, I initially thought he was. But, you know, for less than £30 million in the state of the market that we're in and we have been in for a couple of years transfer-wise, that is just, it's not even a bargain, is it? It's, it's an absolute steal because he does look like he's just growing into the game. And pre-season, I think, was was terribly significant because he was the one who was just missed the first choice, missed the excellent performances. And it, it looked like, you know, people were saying to me going into the season, oh, who are you going to, who is, well, no, who am I going to pick? Who is Sorry going to pick as, you know, the first choice centre-backs? And I was like, Rudiger will be there because Sorry seems to really, really like him. And under Conte, he was a bit of a no-man because in that system, I don't think Conte knew what to do with him either. Mm. And it was a bit like, what is a Rudiger? Like, are you going to be in another, like, Boularoos? Or, you know, there's about a thousand players that we bought over the last decade that are just in a wasteland now. You know, Baba Rahman apparently still thinks he has a Chelsea career. It's like, mate, he's not even worn the shirt for two years. <laughs> I didn't even know you were a thing until I saw your name. But, you know, Rudiger, I think, is, is definitely one for the future. My massive disappointment is the fact that Christensen, you know, in, in the League Cup especially, he just, he, he just look a shadow of themselves, mm. our young players. And Christensen was so, so good under Conte until Conte hung him out to dry. And Christensen was so tired and he should have been rested. And Conte played him against Barcelona and Christensen made more mistakes in that game than I've seen him make in his entire youth career or loan career. And he's not been the same. He, he's not very good at the moment. He's fighting injuries as well. So in terms of our first choice centre-back pairing, it, it uh, unfortunately has to be David Luiz with Rudiger. And you know what? David Luiz can have some great games. I thought he was very assured on the weekend. You mm. know, he, he, he does have that in him. My problem is he also has, you know, too many mistakes for me to consider him a top-level defender. But at the end of the day, the position we're in right now, we're not even in the Champions League. We've, we've spent every other season out the Champions League. So maybe that is where we are. And he brings other things. Whereas Rudiger, I think, is very, very positionally aware. And he, they're both, you know, pasty enough. Absolutely. But I think David Luiz is somebody that maybe brings a bit more of a personality to the dressing room and is a bit more of a, well, you know, to say the least, and is a bit more of like a leader and a joker. And I think, especially with people like Lampard and Terry and, and Ashley Cole, etc., going over the last few years. And, you know, pray Cahill may actually leave soon as well. We are in need of that. So sometimes players do bring, you know, more than you necessarily see on the field, which as Poliquetta, again, the model of professionalism, you know, he, he absolutely does. And it's not, maybe it's not uh, the best Chelsea defence I've ever seen. My God, far from it. But it's, it's one that... I, 
is growing into the season, I think. And it does terrify me, the prospect of what is going to happen when we do come up against sides that that really do attack us. Because if you remember the Arsenal game at the start of the season, yeah. that was just sixes and sevens. And, you know, the fact is we did have to make two goal line clearances that were absolutely last ditch against Liverpool. You know, the storage goal, I'm, I'm not really going to bother because... Wow, what can you do? Uh, boom, as Klopp would say, you know, just not going to do much about that, are you? But I think in terms of, you know, where we're going and stuff, and we, we, we played video turn in the Europa League this week. Well, our defence is going to look great against them, so it's okay for now. Yeah, you can whack, you can probably whack Gary Cahill out in a Zimmer frame on that one. <laughs> um, I think he'd be the paciest player on the field. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, whilst whilst we're on the subject of, of centre backs, you've obviously David Louise was quite good there yesterday. And um, Sam, I'll, I'll come to you. How good were Aouter really? It's so nice, isn't it, having a, a settled centre back partnership? It's it, it's so good. It's been such a long time since we've had two guys at the back that are so assured and so good. And I think one of the biggest benefits of these two guys. Is that recovery pace? Mm. It's, it's insane. Both of these guys, this modern modern day football, you need fast, fast centre backs now. And these guys have got the pace of strikers. You know, it, there was that one instance where William was in basically, and both of them came <laughs> flying out of nowhere in a pincer movement and just crushed William. The thing is, Van Dyke makes up 20 yards on Joe Gomez as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mind, it was, it was insane. I, yeah, I've seen that clip knocking about on Twitter and people have tagged it saying um, Joe Gomez is an athlete or whatever. Totally agree. But I'm the same as you. I thought, bloody hell, look at Van Dyke. <laughs> uh, and, and he was actually the one that got in and got the foot on it. And I think... Um, uh, there was some stats. I think Simon Brundish had said something at one point um, against PSG about him chasing after Mbappe, and he he went slightly faster than him in sprint speed in that game as well. Um, obviously, top end probably not, but uh, it just goes to show that we've got two centre backs that really can play the way that we want to. Because you know sometimes we play a really really high line, and and we did get caught out a few times in this game, which has been a really rare thing for us. You know, I think we did switch off a couple of times in this match, um, specifically that um, quick free kick that Kante yeah. took and it, and it set Hazard away. You know, everyone was asleep there, including Joe Gomez, actually. He actually put his hand up saying offside and he never was. So, mm. Is that you know, an experience that, issue, you think? Well, especially? you know, it was one of those ones where I think Salah did quite poorly there, where he... He got, he lost the ball. Uh, well, he gave the foul away, and rather than stopping the free kick being taken away, which you know is something that Milner would have done all day, he'd have picked the ball up and walked away with it to make sure they weren't taking a quick free kick. Mm. Salah was berating the ref, and I wasn't happy. And Kante was switched on and just saw saw the gap and sent him through. So um, it, it was a mistake by a few of the players, to be fair, but it was. I don't want to just, it's easy to say us because he's inexperienced. You you see guys in their 30s making similar mistakes sometimes. So, you know, we are going to see more mistakes with a young defender you'd expect than an older guy who's who's got some more experience, you know, in the tank. But overall, I'm, I'm really, really excited for this partnership. I just think every game they get better, better and better and better. There's a clear understanding there between the two now as well. Um 
it, I just didn't expect Joe Gomez to develop this quickly in centre back. We forget that we've we've been calling him a centre back in in the making ever since he came along and started playing at left and right back, and we just knew eventually he'd end up at centre back. Now that he's finally had his chance, I'm just blown away by how quickly he's developing. So it's it's such an exciting prospect now. I think once we do get um, Fabinho up to speed and a bit more protection for the back. Uh, the, the two centre-backs as well in conjunction with this new keeper I just think we're going to be a really really tough team to score against Absolutely and I mean I think we saw I think we saw elements of that um, in the game but we'll, we'll come on to Alisson in a, in a wee bit but um, I, I want to talk about the full-back because it was a bit of a weird game for, for all four of them for both teams I, I'll stay with you for now Sam because in the agenda I've put is that Robertson's worst game, and I'll, I'll clarify this. I thought he got a lot better in the second half, but in the first half, I mean, if you put him and Moreno on the same pitch from uh, midweek, you'd probably not see much difference, there, would you? Yeah, I think there's a lot of confirmation bias with people when it comes to our defenders. I, I do it, a lot of people do it with, with Lovren and Moreno. If they're on the pitch and we can see the goal, it's their fault. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just something that we do, and I, I do agree. Uh, there was that absolutely immense ball that David Luiz played. You know, I know Rebecca said she's not the biggest fan, but obviously that's more to do with the defensive side. Ball at his feet, he's got some skills, that guy. And it was an unbelievable ball that he knocked over the top, and William was basically one-on-one. And that was one where maybe Robertson was on his heels a bit and he mm-hmm. was sleeping and he, he did get caught out there. But, but you know, sometimes you've got to just say when they play some excellent football and they time it just right, you know, William was going full tilt, Robertson was going the other way and the ball was inch perfect. Sometimes you just got to say, wow, well done. That was almost impossible to defend. So, as you said, we, we expect such high things from... Robertson these days, he's he's just Mr. Consistent, isn't he? He very rarely makes mistakes. Mm. He very rarely gives the ball away. He very rarely gets beaten. So to see that happen in the first half, it, it was slightly out of character for him. But it was just weird, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. As, as I said, this is probably his worst game, and it was just a bad half. Yeah. And I was like, that's not Rob. <laughs> I know, but I, the, the the way I'm looking at it is, I I just want to give credit to Chelsea because they were mm. a lot better. Than I was expecting. I th- I thought that they really picked us off on occasions cleverly on the break and with odd bits of class like that. You know they've got the players on the pitch that can pull something like that out of the bag. That that was a sensational ball from David Luiz. It was about sixty yard raking pass and it just took everyone out of play and he was clean through on goal. So sometimes you just got to hold your hands up and say excellent play. And uh, luckily, we got the big man at the back to bail us out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and your thoughts on Trent then? Because he, he had a bit of a mixed day as well. Yeah, I, I thought he was quiet as well. But again, are we maybe going to give a bit of credit to the Chelsea midfield kind of restricting? Usually, they are our outlets, aren't they? You know, mm-hmm. and 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 our attack wasn't quite firing on all cylinders this game, and perhaps. That's something to do with how that they've they've kind of stopped the, the flow going to Robertson and uh, Trent as well. Uh, you know, again, he wasn't terrible. He he, he did, you know, he worked hard. It's just you can blame some nice him. Nice passes as well, to be fair, didn't he? Yeah, well, the, 
he's a he's a cracking footballer. You know, ball at his feet. You're not worried at all. You know, he's he's got all the skills you need to be a top level footballer. It's just the case of he does get caught out now and again. But again, as you said earlier, the younger players they're more likely to make the positional errors that maybe someone with a bit more experience wouldn't always make. So concentration issues can happen as well. Uh, but when you're playing against guys like when Hazard's on the kind of form that he's on at the moment, it, it's a big, steep learning curve. And I think the top, top right backs in world football would have struggled against him yesterday again. So um, we, we can't be too harsh on the guys. Uh, Trent and Rob have been fantastic for this club. And I just think we've got probably the best left and right back combination in the league. So um, I think they're both just going to get better and better. So. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I think they had a decent game. They just got caught out a couple of times, and that can happen to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And, Rebecca, coming to you, from your full-backs, obviously it's two new roles for them, because obviously Alonso was playing wing-back, and Aspi was playing centre-back last uh, last couple of seasons. Um, how how do you think they do moving back into, well, more regular um, formats? positions for him because I, I know you signed Aspie as a right right back but he's never really played there has he no I mean look I, I feel like if you asked Aspilicueta to just transport people to the moon he'd do you a solid 8.5 oh, yeah. out of 10 every journey it's just incredible I, I couldn't wax on lyrically enough about him I absolutely love Aspilicueta he is you know the, the model of consistency and he <laughs> is a good man and he doesn't make waves and he just does his job which you know actually at Chelsea is, is pretty unheard of some seasons so you know I, I just love him Um I'm not surprised that he is absolutely shining in this system you know we obviously bought him and he spent a long time at left back and then you know in the three at the back last season and then as now a right back which you know he's played for Spain it's his, his technical I guess traditional position but for me, Azpilicueta could literally just play anywhere across that back four and be absolutely great and fine. He's just one of those players. And I think he just is everything that's kind of a, a nice combination of modern defending, but also classical defending. You know, he he does the simple things really well still. And he'll still put his body on the line and he'll still stick a foot in. And he's, he's pacey enough. He's positionally aware. He understands if you're playing like a high line and he understands, you know, I guess the way football has changed over the last sort of, what, five, six seasons. And we, we've seen a complete shift almost, which is why some players are struggling. Some managers are massively struggling to understand what to do now on a number of levels and I think as Pilaquette you could just put him in any team and he'd he'd do you a job. I mean Marcus Alonso, I I oh God. I just don't know what to say really because <laughs> he, I just you know people have like nightmares about like spiders or snakes or whatever I have about him having to defend because I just think, oh my God, the day he really gets tested, we are we are going to get taken to the cleaners. But at the minute He's not actually doing badly. So at the end of the day, credit where it's due. You know, I'm not particularly comfortable with him as a, a natural fullback. But I think this season we can get away with it because, again, we're in the Europa League. We're not in the Champions League. We're not facing the best of the best week in, week out. And we should be able to do enough in the Premier League against 99% of sides to, to be OK. But the one thing he does obviously have as well is he has a goal in his locker. And at the moment, that is a valuable commodity to us, you know. So I think his 
at the minute his positives well outweigh his his negatives. But you know, neither him nor Azpilicueta, even though I like to think of Azpilicueta as you know eternal and he's never going to go or age or anything. Neither of them are very young. We're not in the position that Liverpool are in where we're looking at our side thinking your best is actually yet to come. You know, your fullbacks are kids and they're still doing so, so well. And, you know, I, I, I do agree in the, the, the Robbo thing because I thought, you know, oh dear, it's not the greatest game I've ever seen you have, but it, it's not the worst game I've ever seen a fullback have either. And, you know, to, to not obviously do Chelsea down either. Azard is a very, very, very good player and he's in very, very good form at the moment. And, you know, Willian isn't a slouch either. Neither is Pedro. It's, you know, it's not like you're coming up against, you know, Cardiff City, no disrespect, but, you know, Cardiff City's wingers and having a bit of a, an off day. This is, you know, I, I'm struggling to think of a harder day that you're going to have at the office than facing that Chelsea side when they're on form because they are very, very good at the moment, you know, bar maybe a Man City. But the league doesn't lie. The league tables don't lie. Chelsea are doing very, very well at the moment. So, you know, I think while it's kind of fair enough to say, oh, you know, neither of them had the day of their life, it's also very much a case of, but they're not going to come up against that week in, week out Mm -hmm. either. And, you know, they've done well when they've come up against stuff like that before. Whereas when people like Marcus Alonso have truly been tested before, it's it's not a fun day (laughs) You, you brought up a, an interesting point with Alonso there. Obviously, said you're not you're scared of the day he actually has to defend, and that, that day will eventually come. But you've obviously got um, Emerson Palmieri there, who, who scored against us in the League Cup, and you spent I think it was thirty odd million on him. Is there is there a potential changing of the guard there? I'm not sure how old Alonso actually is, but do you think Emerson could eventually displace Alonso? I I don't know. I I find it very weird because. Emerson, bless his heart, he seems like one of those people I'm like, oh, you're alive, you're a thing, we own you, because he just pops up, you know, Bubba here, there, and everywhere, <laughs> quite, you know, he just pops up here, there, and everywhere, and obviously, the, the situation with, with Conte and stuff did not help in any way, shape, or form, and Ross Barkley had very much the same thing of, mm-hmm. you know, Conte by that point was just making a point to the board, and had absolutely, you know, lost his hair and the plot and it just wasn't going to be a thing and I think with pre-season I think Emerson thought oh maybe you know I, I have a chance I have this but if if it was down to me I would be like no because I would like to see one of our kids get given a chance mm. you know but that that's just never going to happen and it's the most frustrating thing ever because you know we, we have these conversations whether it's on podcasts or we listen to you know, people on Sky Sports saying it or fans or whatever. And you just think, why are we bothering? If you were a kid now, you just wouldn't go to Chelsea if you've got half a brain because you're never going to get a chance. And, you know, Marcus Alonso is 27 years old and he's 28 in a couple of months' time, which is not young. And, I mean, it's not old and you've still got probably one big contract left, left, you know, in you, I suppose. But I don't see him improving from this point, if Mm. that makes sense. Whereas we've got young players who I think, oh my God, you could actually do a job. And in terms of the fans, like you'll know this with Trent and stuff. If, if Trent made a, a horrible error in a high profile game that ended up costing you, you are going to be more forgiving of him 
because he's one of yours and he's a youth product and everybody loves him and he loves the club and he, he is Liverpool. Whereas if you've just bought in somebody from, I don't know, Malaga for, you know, 40 million euros and they mess up and you just think, oh, you know, for God's sake, what are you doing? Not, you not moron. Not <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. it's like, oh my God, we're doing it again. And they're trending on Twitter. And, you know, I think fans, fans need to see young players coming through as well. I really, really think that. And, I just, with, with Emerson, I don't know whether he'll ever be a fan darling either. I'm, I'm not sure he's ever going to get a, a full chance, or barring obviously injury and stuff. But he, he isn't old by any stretch of the imagination. No, 24 years old. That's a child in, in football terms, really, isn't it? I think, you know, maybe it's time to say to Victor Moses, bye bye, see you later. Because at the moment, we've got three left wing backs. So, and that's just in the first team. That's not even thinking about any of our kids or anything like that, you know. But we're we're giving people like Victor Moses a chance when we could be giving people like Hudson Odoi a chance, mm. which which frustrates me, you know, down to the ground. And I think we we might even see Emerson deployed as as a winger at some point this season. So you you never quite know with Chelsea, to be honest. I I've just rolled with it after all these years. You just stock up on the alcohol and just go Get with used it. To it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not this isn't the agenda, but obviously you see um, Mason Mountain and, and others do well on loan um, with with Frank Lampard. The obvious connection there is he the one hope there because he does seem to be impressive. Oh God, we've had one hope for, for donkey's years now, yeah. so no. Um, <laughs> to, to, to put it bluntly, no. You know, we've had when Loftus Cheek was a kid. Loftus Cheek was our one hope. Jada Silva was, and I, I've watched him live so many times when our kids have been up at, you know, Mini Etihad and played United. And do you know what? Jada Silva looked to me like the best player I'd seen since Ashley Cole. Like, it, it was ridiculous. And then we had people like Callas. You might even remember when Mourinho played him against Liverpool. And yes. he was so good. Yes, I and then that. he's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you just think, oh my God, you know, you, you're actually really good. Christensen, again, we've just destroyed the boy. You know, Ampadu is, do, it did so, so well in, mm. in the international break. And then what's happened? We, we would choose to play Gary Cahill ahead of him. Now, Gary Cahill is not, game. <clears throat> exactly. Gary Cahill doesn't say sorry ball to me. Do you know what I mean? And we're clearly taking the Europa League seriously, regrettably. So, again, they're not getting a game in that. And you just think, wow, why? If if you're going to... For me now, Loftus-Cheek isn't going to be given a proper chance. We might see him here and there, but I, I think he needs to leave. And I think with people like Mason Mount, I don't know if I'd want to come back to Chelsea because we, we've even seen it with people like, you know, Aki and stuff. They've they've come back. Their career's stalled again. Remember mm. when we pulled him from loan? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Sometimes I remember these things and then I, I realise what we've actually done and it makes me so annoyed. But, you know, we do these ridiculous things and then he never plays. And then Conte's like, oh, but I want I want to see him train. We'll get a video of his Bournemouth sessions then. <laughs> you know, we're, at, the, at the end of the day, these kids need careers and we are we are hampering them. You know, it's, it's great to see people like Mount do well under Lampard and stuff. And, you know, I feel like quite a lot of our youngsters are going to start being farmed out to Derby now because the, the connection is there you know with obviously so, Jody Morris we, that's what we've got Rangers for <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly um so I think you know in terms of Chelsea's youth I just I if, if, if any Chelsea fan ever needed a real answer I'd just say buy a bottle of tequila <laughs> that's always a good shout to be fair um <laughs> 
So, we'll, we'll move on to the second half. I mean, this has kind of just came into one big pod, um, regardless of half. But Sam, not, we kind of get, we kind of controlled in the ball. I think we edged possession and stuff like that towards the end of the game. But the midfields came into quite a lot of criticism after the game. I think it comes into a lot of criticism after every game, if, if it's not 10-0. But, um, what, what did you make of, make of our midfield? Because it did seem to be, not at its sparkling best, but it's not, it's not the, more shiny part of our team, is it, let's say? Yeah, I think um, Wijnaldum really stood out as the uh, star performer in our midfield in this game. Um, he, he just really he's continued on the same vein of form that he's been on this season so far. Uh, you're really, really dynamic. He did carry the ball well and, and he tried to break up the play as much as he could. It's, it's just it's, I, I like Henderson and you know Milner's been sensational this season so far to be fair to the guy but I just really thought we were lacking the explosivity that Keita brings to the team and I I just thought uh, when he played 90 minutes in midweek I just knew then he was never going to be starting this game and I was really disappointed to see that um it it, it the, the midfield was working but we were struggling really to beat a really really strong Chelsea midfield you know with with Kante and Jorginho, they can really control the midfield area there. And then obviously they've got Kovacic, who's a really you know, explosive player and, and can really get them going going forward. So I thought we were, we were struggling to get the better of them in that sense, even though that we had a bit more of the possession in the game. So it was something I was a bit disappointed with that we didn't have Keita in there, but it, it was something I think that was the decision was made because Keita played the full game in midweek. Yeah, yeah. And what did you make of um, Keita's impact off the bench then? Because I know it's coming on against tired teams, tired legs and stuff like that. But he did seem to make quite a big impact in, what was it, 10-15 minutes? He seemed to do a lot more than the rest of them combined. Yeah, I think that's probably why Klopp went this way about it. I think his his plan was always to use his his impact off the bench in the second half and hopefully you know keep the game to within a goal and then unleash him in the, in the last half an hour and then hopefully win the game. I think that was his plan from the off. And to be fair, he he did make a really good impact. You know, you you can see the guy, he's got loads of talent carrying the ball. You know, he can beat the man, he can play a final ball and and he can chip in with some goals. You know, I'm expecting him to do that this season when he finally, you know, gets some rhythm going and and plays week in, week out. So he he looked really, really good off the bench again. It was just a bit of a shame he didn't have more time to play there. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he'll get um, full game midweek, or do you think he may actually get a chance at the City game? Yeah, that's a good question, actually, because personally, I want him in every game. I just think he's he's different level, and you know maybe he's not quite as up to speed with Klopp's ways and how he wants to play as the old guard will be, obviously. But I just think his his extra talent is he's got a much higher ceiling of performance than anyone else that we have in this midfield so personally for me i'm just desperate to see him firing on all cylinders so i just want to get him playing as much as i possibly can uh but obviously we don't want to break the guy so personally i'm just so desperate for the league this season i'd want to see him play against man city 
Um, I think, yeah, you know, I, I just want us to do that and, and do the, just, just, if we can beat Man City, it will be such a marker because we've gone away to Spurs now. We've beaten them. We've picked up a really, really solid point against us. Well, a bit of a surprisingly excellent Chelsea side. So we've had a great start. You know, we can't have asked for a better start than this. And I just think it's a really rare opportunity now. Because the games are Anfield against City, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. It is. So it's yeah, so it's a massive opportunity now to really put down a marker and, and try and beat them. And for me, the key to beating Man City is having Keita in that midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Well, other pods will, uh, will go into it in more detail. But Rebecca, obviously, <clears throat> Liverpool had a bit of an old guard midfield, as, as we both said. But... Chelsea's is um, two thirds new. You've obviously got your big, big summer signing of Jorginho and um, your Loney signing from Real Madrid in Kovacic. But ha- what, what's your feelings on on the, on the new look midfield? I know you've talked about the lack of goals, but they seem to give a a decent level of control in parts of this game. Oh yeah, and I think if you if you're looking at a midfield that would literally dominate the ball and dominate a game, you're not going to get you know many better candidates than than those three. I mean, the Kovacic thing just sends me west, if I'm honest, because you know <laughs> Kovacic can't get into the Real Madrid side because of Casemiro. So what we're actually doing is developing Real Madrid's players for them while not developing our own, which is a joy, <laughs> a real real joy. Um, but. In terms of, you know, Conte's position, that's going to be talked about to death this season. Any mistake he makes or any, you know, game that he's not a nine out of ten, which he was nearly every game, you know, last season, the season before, and to be fair, the season before that, you know, any game that he isn't amazing, people are going to be saying, oh, it's because his position has changed, et cetera, et cetera. And I do agree, but I also think that any sorry side, which we've, we've saw it at Napoli, it runs through Jorginho and it's a different type of, you know, way to play, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the worry would be obviously if Jorginho does just get very, very tired or injured or suspended, it looks like Fabregas is his deputy, which, mm. you know, a- again, is my essential point of sorry. Having a system, the system never changes. The players have to fit the system instead of thinking, oh, maybe we could slightly change our system. And I think it works nine times out of ten but at some point you do need a plan b or a plan c um so whether that will you know work through the season through next season and if he does last a third season wow um you know but if if it works for a sustained period of time then you would expect him to bring in players who fit the system as opposed to obviously inheriting you know certain things but we do have other options in the midfield it's just how well they again fit the system because if you're looking at somebody like a Cesc Fabregas are you going to play Jorginho and Cesc Fabregas in the same team I'm not too sure in mm. that system very much the same with like having apparently this role that Conte is trying to play which which almost looks box to box he almost looks like an, an attacking midfielder in this system I, I think he actually is um which is bizarre really <laughs> when you consider what he what he's actually very very good at um I feel like we're taking a really, really, really nice round circle and trying to shove it into a square. And while circles are great and squares are great, you know, you can't be doing that. It's just silly. And that's stunting Loftus-Cheek because he is actually a very good box-to-box midfielder. Again, would they play in the same team? I don't really think so. Then you've got, obviously, the Ross Barkley question. 
of where is Rafatli going to fit in this? It's this, he's in the second string, isn't he? Let's, let's not lie at this point in time. So it, it, it's, it's, it's very kind of interesting and I guess a, a very kind of much more <laughs> lengthy debate with the Chelsea midfield. And the goal thing I think is going to come back to bite us. I have to say, uh, I think as much as, you know, we can control the ball and have possession, the West Ham game, Jorginho set a new pass record for passes made in a Premier League game. Absolutely great, but where are our three points? Well, we're nowhere mm. because we didn't score a goal. So that to me is, it's a, a lack of actual pragmatism. I think we need at some point to be pragmatic enough to understand that somebody in that midfield is going to have to get at least 15 goals this season because otherwise we, we've got big, big problems and too much pressure then is going to be put on Hazard, which, which is never a good thing anyway when, when players feel that. I don't think, I think our level of pressure is great, but too much is, is counterproductive. And then also, we're limiting our options tenfold because all teams are going to do is effectively man Mark Hazard out of a game and, you know, put three players on him. Why are you bothering with putting anybody on Morata? Just give him a run at goal. <laughs> Let your goalie have a drink, you know? So we may, we may end up doing that as well, which, which could, could become a problem, but everything is going well so far, essentially, you know, this is criticizing for, I guess, criticizing sake because this is, this is a good Chelsea side. There's, there's no getting around that at this point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I know quite a lot of people on on our podcast channel were a big fan of Kovacic, and the, the loan deal is weird, as you say. Um, but we'll, we'll move on, because I've just spotted the time, and we're nearing an hour now, and there's a couple more things I wanted to get through. Uh, and Rebecca, I'll stick with you on this one first, because, I mean, most expensive goalkeeper should go first, I suppose, but this was the battle of the two most expensive in the world, and... We we saw Kepper. I know you mentioned a couple of his positioning issues and a couple were cleared off the line, but he did make a couple of good saves. I mean, the Mane one springs to mind mostly here. What, how, how's his start been to, the, to his Chelsea career and how how did he do yes, uh, the other day? Yeah, the Mane one was lovely, actually. I was, I was really impressed with that. And, to, you know, I celebrate that. To me, that's as good as scoring a goal because, well, it, it literally is because otherwise we're a goal down. You know, I, I like him. Um, I I liked him when he was in Spain. He was quite close to actually joining Real Madrid at one point, which is mm. why we ended up paying, obviously, so much for him, because he signed a new contract with a much bigger buyout clause. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I, I couldn't care less if we pay $500 million for him, to be quite honest. If you get a good goalkeeper, that's essential. You, you can't be faffing around with a second-rate goalkeeper. Everybody knows that these days. Look at teams that have second-rate goalkeepers and they don't win things. You do not win things. Spurs are not going to win things. I mean, they won't anyway because they've got a tin pot mentality. But <laughs> if, if they had Vaughan for a season, if Lloris was out for a season, they, they wouldn't win anything. You know, n- no disrespect whatsoever. But And I did like Carrius, but I feel like he sort of fell into that bracket. Minilay mm. 100% did. Man City with Claudio Bravo, you know, Man United in, in their wilderness years before the hair emerged, you know, you, you can't have a bad goalkeeper. And we've been very, very blessed with goalkeepers. You know, Kudicini got displaced by a young Petr Cech, who, well, I, I don't know whether Czech's going to get his Arsenal place back now, but, you know, Kudicini was incredible and insane and he didn't actually deserve to be dropped at all. It was just the way the cookie grumbled with Czech being younger and, you know, Mourinho wanting to do that. Then, obviously, after Czech, we unfortunately had Courtois, who was very, very good. You know, he, he might be a 
well, a dubious human, but he was a, he was a very good goalkeeper. Point it politely. You know. <laughs> well, quite. Um, but, you know, even even though he conceded three goals against Sevilla, um, you know, it, he, he is a very good goalkeeper. Um, his Real Madrid start has been hit and miss, shall we say, but it was good on the weekend in the derby, unfortunately, which, which disappointed me. But with Kepa, I think he has got a lot to prove. My biggest concern about him is his mentality because I don't want him to be carriest. And by that, I mean, no matter, Karras is a kid, he's so young still, and he's obviously still quite emotionally naive, um, and I think shares far too much of his life on social media and definitely needs to kind of guard himself with the press a bit more. And after that Champions League final, there was no coming back for him because he was just destroyed absolutely destroyed in terms of the criticism any mistake his confidence would never have come back at Liverpool and I I don't want that to happen to Kepa because he is he is very very young you know Mm. and I think that the press in England is is a different kind of savage so obviously in Spain you know they, they have things dedicated to to football um but with with the English press, we all know it takes on a different level if they, they're quite vitriolic against certain players. Yeah, so Spain um, are quite you know, protective, aren't they? I mean, very much so. He, I mean, there was look, calls luckily, for him to start ahead of De Gea, wasn't there? Yes, the uh, De Gea will never get the protection he needs because he plays outside of Spain. That's the thing. You know, luckily for Kepa, he is a white straight man. So I think the Daily Mail will leave him alone. Um, <laughs> if, if he was different, we might have a problem. But I think in terms of his positioning, it, it's good. He gets caught out a couple of times. You're going to learn. That also is why I think it, the cookie may have crumbled that we do have David Luis and Rudiger because they are slightly more experienced heads than somebody like Christensen. Somebody like Azpilicueta will be invaluable to him because, you know, you can give him instructions during a game and, and be there when maybe he is a bit like, oh my gosh, what, what do I do? Um, Teach people out to say his bloody name as well. <laughs> oh well, it, it's just Kepper, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've been Dave for donkey's years. So, but w- with with the Kepper thing as well, I think it's really actually important. I know people laughed at us, obviously in the summer with our with our third choice goalkeeper, yay! But I actually think that's really important because he's somebody who knows the league and he knows what to do and he can teach Kepper Caballero very much the same. And mm-hmm. I think having older heads around him, I would have loved to have got checked back actually for that reason. Um, all, all the heads around him will be, you know, crucial to him on, on so, so many levels. Whereas Alison, you just look and after that, you know, slight mistake with, with the Croyton, he, he was obviously sorry and a bit, I guess, embarrassed, but he's not bothered, is he? He didn't go home and cry <laughs> over his Instagram feed. He's, he's so mentally tough. And I think that I'm, I'm, you know, so jealous. If, if, if I could have had Alison in the summer, my God, you know, it wouldn't have been a choice for me, but we have Kepa, so that's where we're going from this point, and he is still better than Caballero. <laughs> so. To be fair, I'm sure that, that's not a good baseline to get a new No, it's from, not, is fair. it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sam, obviously, we see probably the first game that Alisson's been tested quite, quite a lot throughout the game. Um, Apart from the goal, I mean, slight criticism, maybe a bit harsh criticism, but he kept us in that game for so long, didn't he? Yeah, there's there's no two ways about it. That guy has earned us that point. Uh, he made some absolutely vital one-on-one saves in this game. It, it could have got out of hand, actually. You know, the, the way Chelsea got through on goal, there was that one we discussed earlier with the David Luiz through ball where William was clean through. There was the other one-on-one as well. 
um, where Hazard was cleaned through, and he kind of got partially nutmegged, and it hit his leg, yeah. hit the ground, and bounced over the bar somehow. So that was impressive. <laughs> but, you know, these are the things that can turn games. And when Chelsea were 1-0 up and, and missing that chance, I couldn't help but think they might live to regret that. Uh, so it, it's just really nice having a keeper now where if he makes a mistake like he did in the Leicester game, we're not worried because we know he, he's got the talent and we've got full faith in the guy. The guy has got balls of steel. He's got so much confidence. You were never worried that he was going to be panicking after that mistake. So it, and, and especially in this day and age now, it's, it's just mad how much keepers are expected to do. Like the, the game seems to have evolved now where the goalies are uh, an active participant in the build up play of goals. Whereas back in the day, it was just a case of can he save the ball? That's it. He's a great keeper. Now they're expected to do so much more. And this guy is the complete package and he just gets us moving the amount of times that he'll just distribute the ball quickly and get us back on the counter-attack. So I just think he's an excellent sign-in. He's something we've been crying out for for a number of years now. And I really think without his contribution in this game, we're not picking up a point. So really, really happy with the guy. Yeah, absolutely agree. He was fantastic throughout. And um, Sam, I'll stick with you and we'll, we'll get through a couple of the big events. Um, obviously, we see Salah get subbed off quite early-ish, which is quite unusual for Klopp, to be fair. And we see Shakiri come on. And then a few minutes later, we see Shakiri miss a tapping. <laughs> At that stage, do you think, were you thinking it's one of them days? Yeah, that's exactly what I said, actually. <laughs> At the time, I just said, it's just not happening for us. You know, even when... They subbed. Salah wasn't happening for him. It was one of those days, as you said, he was nearly there at all times, but never quite. So I think it was a good decision to sub the guy and bring on a very hungry Shakiri. And I just couldn't believe he missed it, to be honest with you. I just thought, oh, here's his chance now. I think it was his first touch. Um, yeah. I think it was his first touch. So maybe that's why. He wasn't quite on it or he just took his eye off it. I, I don't know what it was, but such a great chance. And, you know, that was an example of Robertson's improved second half. I know it was a bit of luck. Um, I can't remember if it was Aspilicueta or one of the players in that area Aspen. fell. I think it was Aspi. Yeah, someone fell. Anyway, I think it was him. And that kind of gave Robertson the extra bit of time. But the, the ball in fr- from him was absolutely inch perfect. He couldn't have asked for a better ball in. So it was so disappointing to see us miss yet another really good chance. And at that point, obviously, as you said, we are starting to think then it's just not our day, is it? But, you know, fair play. I think Shakiri's really impressed me, actually, since we signed him. I thought he had potential when we signed him. But you always think, why was he at Stoke then? You know, when you got players like this, yeah. when he had such a promising early career, um, I really wanted Liverpool to sign him back when he was with uh, Basel, actually. So to see him go from Bayern and then end up in Stoke eventually, I thought, what's wrong with the guy? Uh, but in, during the World Cup, we saw his performances for Switzerland and he really did step up to the plate and he showed that he is someone who will work really hard and has actually got a lot of ability. And I just think he, he's going to make an impact off the bench. He hasn't quite had the luck so far. You know, he's hit the woodwork in one game. Uh, he, he's had this glorious opportunity again this game. But we are opening teams up. 
we're creating these chances and I just think it's a matter of time before they start going in for us. And speaking of going in, I mean, I think it's time to talk about the storage goal, Sam. You've probably been waiting all pod to do it, but God damn, what an absolute stunner of a goal. Jesus Christ. It was so good, wasn't it? That's <laughs> unbelievable. And I, I'm ashamed to admit it, right? I was one of those guys that said, <laughs> don't shoot from there. <laughs> I just thought, oh, no, because it's one of those ones where you know it's, it's one minute left in the game. If he just hoofs it over the bar, you're letting them off the hook. So it, that was why. But as soon as he struck it, I just thought, no. No, <laughs> when it flew in the top corner, I went absolutely ballistic. I couldn't believe it. So he's he's just, he's such a talent, isn't he? And I'm so happy. He's probably my favourite guy at the club and the guy that I wish to do well more than any other player because I just think he's been tarred with a that brush of being a lazy player and isn't working hard enough and, and doesn't fight through the pain barrier. The guy's been injured for years. It's, it's not his fault that he's been injured. There's no way in hell that he's not playing if he's able to play. It's not his fault. The guy's mm. been so unlucky with injuries and he's blessed with this immense talent. And I think it's so nice to see him now have a little bit of a run. What's that? His fourth goal of the season, maybe? Um, already, you know, he, he's chipping in for us. So it, I was so happy to see him score. Um, a little bit disappointed that he didn't do the dance. He, he was being very respectful to his old club, which for me, I don't see much point in. I think, you know, once you're in a new club, enjoy your goal, celebrate. But uh, what a strike. Absolutely. And Rebecca, I, I won't ask you to, to, re, to relive it, but I mean, obviously he's an ex-Chelsea player and um, we kind of see muted celebrations. I think he did celebrate in the in the midweek, but someone reminded of him. I mean, does does that mean anything to you, Rebecca, not not celebrating against the next team? Or do you think it's one of those new things that you don't appreciate? I mean, look, to be honest, why wouldn't he celebrate? Celebrate away, mate. You've, you've had a horrible time of it. It's an absolutely great goal. Chelsea fans were very nice to you. Celebrate. My God, I wanted to celebrate <laughs> for him. And then I realised that, oh, my God, you've done it again. I hate you. Why is this happening to me? And my husband's cheering away. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to divorce you. We've dropped points. I'm going to be single. What's my cat going to do? You know. But no, in all seriousness, I was, I think Sturridge should celebrate. It was very different when, say, Frank Lampard scored against us. You know, then you don't celebrate, in my yeah. opinion, because when you're trying to still, still claim to be a club legend, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing that. You probably shouldn't have gone to Man City, but there we are. Um, you know, I think Sturridge, like you say, has been so injury hit. I hate when people say he's lazy. I actually think part of the problem was he actually genuinely isn't. And he probably pushed himself too far in games and he tries to play too many minutes. And I think, mm. Klopp definitely had that problem with him at the start, trying to convey to him and actually get him to understand your body cannot hold up. You just can't do it. You do have limitations. I mean, my God, when he's fit, he is literally, and I don't know why people laugh at this. I genuinely do think he is one of the best strikers out there when he's fit, but he can't be Mr. 90 minutes a game, two games a week because his body won't hold up. Now he understands that. I think it's finally sort of computed with him. And I think that's key because to have somebody like that to come off your bench 
or to, you know, start when Firmino can't or whatever, because then you bring Firmino on, you know, like you did against PhD. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's great. If I was a Liverpool fan, I would be over the moon. And, you know, Sturridge looks really happy and the squad look happy. And I think the, the options of, of Sturridge and Shakiri, and then you even look at your midfield and stuff, it, it is strength and depth. And that's, that's the difference, I think, when you look at your, your team in previous seasons. But I, I wouldn't think anybody should begrudge Sturridge a good run of form and a really good season because I think he's a lethal finisher. I, I think he has been unfairly kind of tarred with certain labels, which, which isn't right. But you know what the media is like and you know what social media, especially is like somebody says something and it just spreads like wildfire. And then you get tagged as this. And, you know, at, at Chelsea, it's like, oh, you're selfish. You're a striker. What do you mean you're selfish? You think you can score? Like, you know, he's, he's not in yesterday. He's not being asked to assist every game. So, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's like when people call Ronaldo selfish and stuff. And sometimes you just have to think, oh, my God, just shake your head. But in terms of the goal and stuff, I said to my husband before um, you'd scored... I think this is one of the games that if you're going to win the title, you're going to have to get a point. Not win all three, not get all three points because, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to win every single game of the season and we are in very good form and we were at home. So, you know, it, it, three points maybe was a bit too much, but definitely get a point. Absolutely. Because then people start thinking, oh, that they've come back there and, you know, there's not a complex, which there could well have been losing to Chelsea twice in a week. People start thinking, oh, have Chelsea got their number? Because that's now what Man City fans have a problem with with Liverpool and they've become weirdly obsessed. And they now, you know, have this kind of thing and they, they, they were celebrating our goal and it's like what you should be wanting a draw <laughs> you stupid but <laughs> do you not want to win the league but it's a very it's kind of strange situation i think but no in in terms of the overall result as well i thought it was great for both sides but if if, if i was being honest i was disappointed i think if i was a liverpool fan it's the cliche of you feel like it's a win don't you almost yeah Absolutely. And from a Chelsea point of mind, you touched on it there. Do you think a draw's a good point for your concern? I mean, I think you said on the pre- preview pod that you'd expected Liverpool to win, if I remember correctly. But is, is a point good for Chelsea? Yeah, it is, definitely. And I, I did expect Liverpool to win. Um, and the Chelsea team are impressing me more and more as, as the weeks go on. My, my concerns are still there, etc. I always think, though, because of this, like, you know, very modern rivalry between Chelsea and Liverpool. Obviously, it has to be modern because we were only born in, like, 2003 when we got all our money. Um, but, you know, after obviously having to play so much in the Champions League at early doors and, you know, the goal that never was, etc., etc., I think Chelsea do lift themselves for Liverpool. I think that's a very big game for us. So, again, to get a, a point, I, I was pleased. The way the game went, I, I would have wanted to try and see it out. But by by all means, a, a point against the team I think will win the league was really good for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, we are doing really well. And I keep I keep saying to people, like, I don't get why nobody's, like, you know, saying about Liverpool, oh, why, why are you celebrating? Why are you so joyful? I'm like, have the joy. Like, you know, you're doing really well. Have the joy. So I'm just going to take my own advice now. And I fully want the joy. And we're doing really well. And it's all good. No injuries really yet. And I, I think we can. Top four this season would be great. Absolutely great. So that's, that's what I'm kind of 
focusing on and going for and I think that's what we will achieve now yeah fair enough and Sam same question to you is a point good enough for Liverpool to, to be still the title contenders and I think we're on the same point to City now yeah I think a draw away to Chelsea you would always take that on paper um, going into the game I, I really fancied us to win this game uh, but the way it panned out I think it's actually an excellent point for us Um Especially if you score a last-minute equaliser, obviously that makes a big difference. As Rebecca said, you know it's it's it goes from feeling like uh, it's another draw to if it almost feels like a win, as you said, it, it's always down to who gets the last goal really to feel like you know, if it was a positive result or not. But at the end of the day, this has managed to keep Chelsea below us in the league now as well, and it's kept. Liverpool on the same amount of points as Man City going into the game at Anfield next week. So I think it's an excellent point. So many positives about this Liverpool team. Created loads of chances yet again away from home against a really, really good Chelsea side. It's really annoying how Chelsea do this, where they've got this model where they just get rid of the manager and the new manager comes in galvanises the team instantly and they become an excellent team all over again. It's it's really bizarre and it's it's really annoying. And as Rebecca says, you know, she she'd like them to blood the youngsters and, you know, bring players through. And then you might get more players like De Bruyne, Salah, Lukaku staying at the club and developing there. But the problem is they keep winning trophies with this method that they're using. So they're going to continue to do it. They're going to continue to buy players who are at their peak and the expensive and not blood the youngsters and end up getting rid of them. And they're going to continue to sack the manager when they don't win trophies. And then all of a sudden, they're a really good side again. So it's a bit annoying that Liverpool have spent three years trying to develop a team and are finally at that point. And Chelsea just go, ah, we'll just get a new manager. And then all of a sudden, they're looking like an excellent team again. But... uh, (laughs) Yeah, apart from the frustration, I'm really, really happy with that draw and I just can't wait for the City game now. Absolutely, and I think that's a perfect way to finish the pod, so I'll come to you both with uh, plugs. Um, Sam, is there anything you want to advertise? Just been doing a couple of pods recently. Uh, Did the post-PSG one with yourself and did the pre-Chelsea one as well with uh, Rebecca and Harry. So yeah, just a couple of those out there. And if you want to have a chat about Liverpool or uh, whatever, have uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm on at Sambo Evans. And Rebecca, anything you want to plug? Um, yes, I have um, my own podcast with my husband. Um, it's obviously football based. The concept is basically what happens when a Liverpool fan marries a Chelsea fan. Um, so it's basically all about football and quite a lot of shade being thrown. The one one, you know, <laughs> did, did our marriage a lot of good. Let's put it that way. Um, so we're on Twitter um, at did it cross. So give us a follow. Um, we drop new shows every Tuesday. Um, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that caboodle. Um, so, yeah, that's at did it cross on Twitter. Good stuff, and I've been your host, Guy Drinkle, so I'm going to thank uh, both of you for joining me, and thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Let's get ready to rumble!
です。